Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back again to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club. You know, just because football season goes away after the fall every year, unfortunately, the Dunlap Champions Club does not, and we've told you this before, but it's a great event space that you should consider for your team, family, organization, whatever it is. Space, space, and more space. Anything from 10 to 15 people, or I'm told... As many as 800 can be accommodated. Uh, they, they've got space. They do. They've got uh, – if you've been in the Dunlap Champions Club, you know we're talking about the fourth floor and the sixth floor, really, of the University Center Club. But the fourth floor is 20,000 square feet, floor-to-ceiling windows, overlooks Bobby Bowden Field. They can set it, you know, whatever you want. Plated function, theater seating, cocktail reception. If you like uh, the terrace, the little outdoor and, – and actually – this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. I might not suggest it for late July, early but, August. But this time of year. This time of year, I think that's an option. Same thing up there. Cocktail reception. They'll set it however you want. Just consider it. It's uh, it, it really is a great space. I've, I've been to several functions there. I'd encourage you to do the same. 850-644-1830 for ticket information, or you can call and schedule a private tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Good to see your face. Uh, and the rest of yes, you. Yes, yes. What you said back at you. It's a big basketball night. Florida State and the defending champs. But I think football is still going to be the focus. Football is, but uh, basketball, very exciting. Both uh, the men and the women's side. Men up to number nine. The women checking in at 11 and 13, I believe. Uh, defending national champion. Regardless of how many they lost to the NBA, they are the defending national champion. So that uh, should get Florida State's attention. And hopefully they will have a, a big crowd at the Tuck and, uh, and Florida State will play well. We'll talk more about the matchup with the Cavs when our Osceola insider Bob Ferrante joins us a little bit later in the show. Your impressions from the national championship game, other than they need to kick it around six thirty or so, so us old guys can actually you know get a good night's sleep. That that is correct. Uh, it makes it hard for those of us over fill in the blank. Uh, I thought the first quarter, first quarter and a half went as I uh, hoped it would be. <clears throat> Pardon me. And then I'll tell you the the biggest difference in that ball game, in my opinion, Tommy, is. Uh, Burroughs and the LSU offense was struggling against Venable's defense. Clemson was whatever it was they were doing that maybe they hadn't seen before or they hadn't seen enough of. But Brady, the offensive coordinator Brady and Insminger for LSU, were able to make some changes, were able to communicate those changes to Burroughs, and Burroughs was able to execute those changes. And guess what league they do that a lot in? It goes by three initials. It's called the NFL. And that just said to me, now that it's over with and you go back and reflect on it, the experience that the coordinator had at the NFL level with the Saints, Burroughs, I think, without question, has a tape, at least one, that says he can take coaching mid-game and at halftime and make the adjustments, communicate the adjustments to his teammates, and then execute the adjustments that, to me, was the difference in the ballgame. Now the question will become, can LSU sustain it? Because they're without both Joes now. Joe Burrow's moving on to the NFL. Joe Brady moving on to the NFL with Carolina. Before we f- answer that question, what percent 
would you credit Brady? What percent would you credit Burroughs? This is an oversimplification, but in terms of offensive success, if we're just going to put it with those two. At the at the collegiate level, I would say 60-40 Burroughs. Now, you would probably reverse that at the professional level because you might be talking about a Brady. No, no, no. I just whatever. mean LSU this year, their success. Was it more Burroughs or more Brady? It was more Burroughs because Brady could have come in and, and put the stuff on tape on the whiteboard, practiced it, but unless and until somebody can execute it, it's without. And all you got to do is look at Burroughs last year. No, no disrespect to Ensminger and no disrespect to the 2018 coaching staff at LSU, but that's the same Burroughs last year under a different offense. Fast forward to this year under this offense. Oh my goodness, he was remarkable. It's the best season I've ever seen a quarterback have at the college level. Sixty touchdowns. It's absurd. I just, and I six just, interceptions. I described it to you. He sees the game in slow motion. When we watch the slow motion replays, I feel like that's how Burroughs processes the game. He just never looks in a hurry, and he just looks very calm and poised. The guy that I uh, relate that to, and you and I have had this conversation as well, is Charlie Ward on a basketball court. Now, he also did it on the football field. There's no question. But Charlie Ward on the basketball court could just see everything. And he could see it before it happened. And therefore, he anticipated it. And that's why he was able to play 12 years in the league. And that's an interesting question because there was a lot of talk leading up to this game about, is this the matchup of the two best quarterbacks ever? Because you've got two number one picks in theory in Burroughs and Trevor Lawrence. And it was a different era. But you had Charlie Ward against Tommy Frazier which was pretty high level, and obviously they didn't have NFL success, but it was a different deal back then for what the game was. Weren't they just as elite at that time as what Burroughs and Lawrence are now? They were, but the majority of your college teams and all of your professional teams were not running those types of offenses. So therefore, no one in the know was paying attention to him. Contemplate this. I didn't come up with this. Someone asked me this. I figure that if it's anything worthwhile. Exactly. I, I usually make a note of that. Please get your pen out. Go ahead. Where would the Ravens be right now if you had Charlie Ward in his prime instead of um instead, instead, of, Lamar, never, instead of Lamar? Instead of Lamar. Well, who knows? I mean, Lamar's pretty doggone good too. But I mean, the, I think a better way to look at that is if – offenses had evolved to the point that they were ready to embrace Charlie at his time, what would he have looked like? I'm just saying, just in your mind, picture Charlie today with his skills of however many years ago, doing what Lamar's doing. That That's just an interesting thing to ponder. So related to Charlie, this was, I forget who it was, was a national media member who commented, this is a couple of weeks ago, have you ever, who's a quarterback who took as big a step from one year to the next as Burroughs did? as Joe Burroughs did. And the only answer I could come up with at all, and you'll appreciate this, let me finish it first, was Charlie Ward from 92 to 93. Because in my mind, I knew Ward was good in 92, but he was off the charts in 93. What I remembered about 92 was he threw four interceptions in his first two games, and it took a while. Yeah, four in each game. Thank you. That, For those that can't see, obviously you can't radio, I was holding up eight fingers. Well, I meant that's what I meant. I meant four in each of the first two games. But anyway, bottom line, it got pointed back out to me in this in this thread that, that Charlie was ACC Player of the Year in 92 and finished fourth in the Heisman voting. And that's the Charlie I remember as just being good. So the answer to the question is not Charlie. Charlie went from good to great or from really good to really great. And Burroughs went from maybe good, good to, really, to great. really great. 
or he, maybe maybe best all time. He wasn't bad. I watch more LSU than outside FSU than probably anybody, given given my wife. And Burroughs, to me, now this may be a product of LSU not having anybody that can complete a forward pass for 10 years. I could see last year that he was much better than what they had had. I mean, he could, his scramble ability, he played well at times. But his numbers, I mean, 16 touchdowns last year and 60 this year. There was a, a couple commentators talking on Monday uh, after, or excuse me, Tuesday morning after the championship game, and and this is human nature. We're going to scour the the record books, and in another week, another month, six months from now, you're going to start uncovering some statistics about this 2019 LSU team and or Burroughs and his 2019 season that will just blow your mind. It's things that we just haven't thought about yet. You know about the numbers, and you know about the one-loss record. Here's the first one of those that I I just hadn't contemplated. But the 2019 LSU team is the first team in the history of the NCAA to beat the preseason number one, number two, number three, and number four in the same year. That's just remarkable. Yeah, they were really good. Well, you got two things at play here. One, the SEC – by virtue of playing in it, you're always going to have a chance. You're good. Half the top ten is going to be in the SEC every year, so you're going to have that. And then now that we're in a playoff, you're going to get two other highly ranked teams, which may or may not be SEC teams. I, you never answered this question because I didn't give you a chance. So is LSU here to stay at this level? Or with Brady and Burroughs moving on, are they right back to where they've been with all their other – I mean, they've always had talent. They've always had receivers without quarterbacks. They're They're, they're back to where they were unless and until they get that truly elite quarterback. And, so, they, and they may have him. We just don't know it. So right now your pick to win the SEC is not Bama. Maybe it's Florida. I hate to go there. I, I, I hate to go there. I think Georgia is angry at how 2019 worked out. Uh, and when you start talking about the SEC, you've got to talk about some teams you don't want to talk about. Tennessee. I mean, how about Kentucky? I mean, go all the way to Kentucky. I mean, they play in the in the lesser half. All they got to do is we're win starting a to sound like a fine bomb show here. So let's no, no, go no. ahead and change SEC we're topics. Not, we're not going to have anybody call in and rant and rave. I thought about this. So again, my wife went over to New Orleans. She went to LSU. She enjoyed the national championship. Congratulations! But I was thinking about it, and if Clemson, uh, you know, the thought at the before the game was if LSU wins, fine bomb is going to be insufferable. But if Clemson wins, my wife is going to be insufferable. So I think I'm out in the better the better situation here because I can choose to not listen to Feinbaum, if you know what I'm saying. Well, we've always said that you're a team player. Yes. Um, were you bothered? Did it seem like it was too much of a delay from the playoff games to this game? Absolutely. And, okay. and, and for those that, that have asked about that, it has been answered. It had to do with the timing of the first and they want to play on a Saturday versus on a Sunday for the national championship game. You and I, I think, share the same opinion. I say play the playoff game on January 1st, regardless of when that falls, and then play the national championship well, game on the Monday, not the Monday following, but the Monday week after that. So the games this year were on the 28th, is that right? Something like that. The the playoff games? So let's just hear me out on this. If you actually had, if you get the Rose Bowl, if you either ignore it or you incorporate it so it's a playoff every year, whatever you, whatever you have to do to get the playoff games actually on January 1st, that, that would have gotten it five days closer. But if you push back from Monday of this week to Saturday coming up, same five days, so we'd have had the same delay, 
there's no pro football because the championship games are on Sunday. You just put the college national championship on Saturday of a three-day weekend, and you have solved the problem. Now, I realize there's still a two-and-a-half-week delay, but you've gotten the game off Monday night. Kids can stay up and watch it. Grown men can stay up and watch it and not feel like they're hungover the next day because they went to bed and got three hours sleep. It just seems like a simple fix to me. Well, I think that fix will come into play when they go to eight teams. And you've got to have another week of some games being played at the collegiate level, and you'll need that week. But we'll wait and see. Hopefully they get it sorted out. All right. Uh, somebody who always has it sorted out is uh, Matt Thompson and the fine folks at Madison Social. If you're heading to the game tonight at the Tuck, stop by Madso on the way back. Celebrate the victory over the defending national champs. Uh, Keith will be uh, first in line next Tuesday when they have Taylor Swift trivia night. So uh, you're going to have to beat Keith if you go out. And How's uh, he doing these days? Where, where does he rank you on know, the I top chart? You know, I recall he was, what was he? He was a five-star corner out of Dallas, right? And I forget. Didn't he commit to Arkansas? Taylor Swift. And then he committed to Arkansas and Petrino got fired and, and he went to Vanderbilt. I, I lost track because of the coaching change and I think he got in the portal. But anyway, if you know where Taylor Swift is these days, you should show up at Trivia Night at Madison Social next week. Are we done? Sometimes we just tickle ourselves. Don't Nobody pay. else is <laughs> laughing. We'll take a break and come back and continue with Front Row Knowles. You want to stay Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back, Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ. And we're going to focus our attention more on football, but enough talk about the LSU Clemson game the other night. Keith, let's bring it back uh, closer to home and talk some Florida State football. And as we uh, reopen the Earl Bacon Agency hotline or open it up, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, we say hello to, you know, I don't know if we can call him the cornerstone recruit so far for Coach Norvell, but it's not (laughs) far off. This is uh, Marvin Wilson, who is back for another year. Marv, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How you doing? We are doing very well. And I know you've been asked this already and you had to process it. So just walk us through the whole decision-making process. I mean, was there a time when your foot was at the out the door? Were you thinking all along when the season wasn't going as you wanted, even before the coaching change, that, you know what, I can't leave FSU like this, so I'm coming back? Or, I mean, did you truly wait till you got your draft analysis? Just kind of take us through everything that went through your mind and how you made that decision. Uh, really, uh, I had made my decision before I even got my draft grade back. Um, really, I was just focusing on just uh, after my injury and um, and stuff like that took place. I was already making up my mind that I wanted to come back because I wasn't done yet. Um, even if I did, did didn't get injured, I, I just didn't like the way how the season went. Um, I wanted and I wanted to get my degree. So really, I just want I want to finish what I started with everything at Florida State. So I just wanted to go ahead, come on back, you know, just leave leave, leave a legacy. Well, Marvin, speaking of the injury, how is the hand? What are you able to do, particularly in the weight room? And wh- how how is the quote-unquote rehab going? Well, rehab's going great. You know, um, been back in the weight room, slowly working it. And, 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 and stuff like that. 
Um, uh, every day is going great. Um, I should be 100% real soon within the next month, month or so. So everything's going, going great. You know, future's looking real bright. I want to drill down a little bit deeper about your finish what you started mantra and you made some comments you know you don't want to leave on a sour note but I went back and found a story and 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 credit where it's due it was written by the athletic and I think it was a quote from your mom who said your education is what you stand on not what you fall back on so I, I, I'm guessing is she the driving force in terms of you, you just mentioned finishing your degree and just being motivated to do so well, most definitely. I promised my mom before I even got to college that I'll get my degree. You know, you know I'm going. That's what I'm going to do. Two things my mom said uh, that they never take from your life, and that's God and your education. So you know, I'm just built on those foundations, and I'm just standing on it. What are you studying? What's your degree going to be in? I'm a sociology uh, major. Uh, that's that, that's the major I'm taking right now. Okay. From a leadership standpoint, moving out of the classroom and back onto the field, you were one of the leaders last year. Uh, as you made this decision, I mean, you're a guy that, that people are going to follow because of the way you lead. So did you process the thought that you coming back might lead to other guys coming back? And I don't know how much that influenced their decision, but, I mean, on the surface, it would seem that, you know, maybe Tamarian or, or Durden or some other guys said, hey, if Marvin's coming back, I'm coming back, and I'm going to adopt the same thought process. we got to do better here at FSU or for FSU. I just think really, I just, I just sat down with those guys, you know, as a whole, and really made the decision together uh, as a trial 17. Um, just sitting down, watching a lot of things that have been going on, different events, and we just wanted to sit down and say we're not done yet as a whole. Um, this is like a really a majority decision of all of us after talking for so long uh, about the process of uh, different things going on in Florida State. We just sat down and wanted to uh, come together like, let's, let's finish what we started. Let's go out the right way. Right way. Marvin, I had the I had the privilege of playing under Coach Bowden, and he had some assistant coaches that I know you've met and you don't know, but stayed with him for twenty, twenty five, even as much as thirty years. And obviously, I'm drilling back down to Odell. Tom and I had the privilege of actually broadcasting games when Odell was a player, and we've gotten to know him as his thirty, almost thirty year tenure at FSU. How how big an influence? Was he in your decision? And, and just tell us a little bit about your relationship with, with Coach Higgins. Uh, Odell has been a, a huge uh, decision. I mean, part of my decision, though, he's been a great mentor the last three, three years uh, that I've been here. Showed me how to conduct, conduct myself in society, you know, outside of football, you know, just helping me mature as a man. Odell's been a great, a great asset to my life. What were your impressions, your first impressions when you met Coach Norvell? Of course, Novell. Um, he, he came in real serious. You know, um, looked me in my eyes. Never, never broke, broke that plane. He just always uh, meant what he said from, uh, from the jump. He kept everything honest with me. News and insights, everything from the program of how he wanted me to conduct myself in the classroom as, and as a leader on and off the field. Um, he just laid down the gauntlet of who he wants, wants me to be at this university. Let's get more technical, I guess. A return to a four-three. What does that mean for you? Uh, for me, that means I should uh, be a more athletic tackle, you know, playing that two eye or that uh, that three position, you know, just being able to uh, get back inside, attack those centers and guards more uh, more effectively from those different, different positions. Marvin, a question I've always wanted to ask, and, and I was afraid to ask you face to face because you might smack me because of the answer. Don't, by the way, don't do that next time you see me. I'll run. <laughs> You big guys in the middle, there just seems to be a tend to, to get to the single-digit numbers. They want to wear number three or number five or number seven. And you've picked 21. What's the what's mm-hmm. the reason behind that? 
I'm just I'm, I'm want to do something different, you know. Um, ever since I got here, everybody has you, you got the guys that got the 90 or the uh, 80 numbers, or they got the low single digit numbers. And I, and I got a 20 number, I got 21, and that's something totally different uh, than anybody else has ever done, you know. And I'm just rocking it because that's my thing. Talking with Marvin Wilson here on Front Row Knowles. When you look, you know, the, the the fans and we, fans, media, we come at it a different way, certainly, than guys that are putting their blood, sweat, and tears in on a daily basis, Marvin. But to the question of how long it will take for FSU to get back, to whatever, however you define back. But, I, I mean, for you, you're a guy that could have gone anywhere. I know LSU is on your list. I, I'm sure you watched the game the other night. When you watch LSU or you play against Clemson, you know, how far away do you feel like FSU is? And I'm not suggesting that the answer should be, you know, next week we're good. But, I mean, when, when you look at it, how big is the gap or what do you think it'll take? Um, for us, it's just building that, that, that discipline accountability, accountability foundation right now. I'm just coming in every single day, just learning how to work hard every single day as a whole team, not just a couple of individuals. Learn how to uh, hold each other accountable, come in, work. Um, stack those good days on top of good days and just taking coaching and receiving it and not taking it to the fact. We're just building right now. We're building a great foundation. I don't think we'll fall off at all. Me personally, uh, I don't think we'll fall off at all. We're really just switching to, uh, at Florida State with all the talent we got coming back and stuff like that. We can sit there at any moment. We just, it all comes down to the fact of us, you know, as a whole, as a coach staff, to a player staff, point of us flipping that switch and going and taking the thing the way it's supposed to. Can you give us an assessment of how, uh, you know, what the, I think it's called tour of duty now that, that's going on, what that's been like since uh, you guys have been back at it? Yeah, tour of duty is, uh, is real work. Um, you're just coming in with mat drills and you know, different drill works. Um, learning how to, um, when you're tired, not putting your hands on your hips, your head anywhere, just standing tall. You know, really, it's just, it's just something that not everybody's built for. And you know, right now, we're going through that, that hard, putting in those hours right now. So we can reap those benefits in December. You know, that's what, that's, that's what we're doing right now. So, two of them is basically thing that nobody else wants to do, but we're going to do it. Please tell me Coach Norvell has not instructed the uh, fig to no longer serve uh, honey fried chicken. Oh, uh, no. He, 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 no, uh, <laughs> not that. No, I was probably sick of school on Friday to read honey fried chicken. I love that chicken. <laughs> well uh unfortunately or fortunately lots of us do yeah you we, may, we you get there occasionally us, right? yeah um i, I want to go back to to the decision where we started here marvin i mean you're aware this is a business decision and and the reports are that you got a first round grade so so in some respects it's a gamble on, on your health and how you're going to fare this year how much serious consideration did you have to give to that aspect of the decision uh, before you decided to come uh, back not much not much, really. Uh, honestly, I uh, know God. He has my, he has me in uh, control. You know, he has my destiny in his hands, and I trust him throughout this whole process of just my career playing football and all. So I'm not worried about injuries and stuff like that. And if it does happen, it's part of the game. Uh, I've had injuries in the past, and I always bounce back harder. So I'm um, just built to so how I survive you know, and, and adapt to any situation. Makes sense. Well, Marvin, we appreciate you joining us for a few minutes. I know that uh, Florida State fans are certainly excited that uh, you decided to come back for your senior year, and we look forward to what, what the future holds. Thanks for being uh, such an ambassador for Florida State. Yes, it's great to be here. Thanks, right. Marvin. Marvin Wilson, uh, you know, he was one of the team leaders. If you're going to define or, or list the leaders from a year ago, Keith, he'd have been on the very short list, and now you have him back, and uh, you can listen to that interview and know that he leads by example. It is actually probably uh, one of the more, you know, Coach Bowden talked about 
uh, being able to recruit Ron Simmons and bring him in in 1977 and, and what a huge impact that had on the program. I think when we look at the Coach Norvell era, however long that lasts, whatever the outcome at the end is, we're going to look back on Marvin Wilson returning as being maybe just as impactful for Coach Norvell's career as it was with Ron coming in for Coach Bowden's. That's how I rate it. I think he really could go down in the same way that you hear have some of those recruits early in Jimbo's tenure that by them saying yes, it opened eyes for others to take a look at the program and follow. I think the same thing uh, potentially could happen here. And maybe it's already happened to some degree with guys on the team, other guys in the portal. Who knows what the first Wednesday in February will bring. But obviously the staff has been very active. They clearly know the, uh, the, the, the areas of deficiency, and they've been out there trying to get more bodies. And, and whether it's recruiting, whether it's transfers, whether it's graduate transfers or whether it's transfers through the portal, uh, you know, I think Norvell's group – you know, understands all the tools they've got to work with. But I'll go back to one thing. They, they always talk about it. A team will take on the demeanor uh, of the head coach. Well, one of the things that will happen at the segment level is your thought process because you're with your segment coach every day. And, and there, were, there were weeks when I was playing that Coach Bowden, the only time I heard Coach Bowden talk was at the end of practice. Well, I'm listening to Jack Stanton before practice, during practice, after practice, after after practice. So you take on the mentality of your head coach, but you take on the work ethic and the thought process of your segment coach. And when you hear Marvin Wilson talk, you can you can I'm just telling you, you can see the direct effect that Odell Higgins is having on his players. Because Marvin doesn't talk like that just when he's on the radio. He doesn't act like that just when people are looking. He's that way 24-7. Good ambassador for the program is the word I use. Uh, we don't need to get into the win-loss game, Keith, because we've got eight months to do that, looking ahead to the season and forecasting. But without thinking about specific opponents, the caliber of the schedule, or even the deficiencies, I mean, the offensive line needs to get better. There needs to get a, a, a more consistent answer at quarterback. There's other areas. Go ahead. I'm giving you my answer. Get to your question. The answer is two. Mm-hmm. Marvin Marvin is worth two more wins next year if he's here versus when he's not here. I wasn't going to put it on Marvin, but I was. But if you if you couple that in, you couple in theory and hopefully in practice better coaching. I.e., the defense is back to a four three, and you would think you'd get better results with all the guys coming back. And then you factor in belief in who's coaching you and you know looking at things as half full and not half empty and buy-in is really what i'm saying isn't all that worth a couple wins at least at least understanding that you can't you can't uh buy in your way to being what lsu was this year you need some more talent to get there and here's the rest if i can complete from my perspective the rest of that if you ask Coach Norvell, he would not even give you an answer. He doesn't know if it's one game, two games, three games, he, he, and he doesn't care because what he is preaching is what Marvin was talking about, 1% better every day. Make it count every day. If you start put in, he's building back-to-back days and building upon days, yeah. what Jimbo called the process. Yeah, it's a process results conversation. If you focus on that, as they say – the wins and the losses will take care of themselves. 
We live in, uh, I want an answer in 140 characters on Twitter in 42 seconds. As I'll remind you, I'll remind our listeners. Oh, they're, they're well aware. I don't Twitter. I don't tweet. I don't talk. I stall a putty cat. I, we're well aware the, the mailbox is always filled with handwritten letters that come in because you're the only one who can read them. The rest of us wait for them to get scanned, and then we look at them in our phone. We'll come back and talk PDF to you. PDF to you. PDF. Our Osceola Insider, Bob Ferrante, joins us right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you, and time to welcome our Osceola insider to the program, and he is Bob Ferrante. We open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, and say hello to Bob. How are you, sir? Gentlemen, how are you guys? We are, we are doing well. It's, uh, it's a football week because we have the national championship game, but we're playing the defending national champs tonight in hoops, and that's lost a little bit of luster with Virginia struggling, but... I'll tell you who hasn't lost any luster is Leonard's team. So what's your thoughts as we get set to tip off at the tuck here in the next uh, hour or so, half hour? Yeah, I think this is a great matchup for Florida State, kind of to showcase themselves, you know, on ESPN2 against the defending national champs who, yeah, they're coming off two losses, but this feels like a high-profile game to, to help Florida State continue to build, you know, now the number nine team and, uh, you know, continue to make that push and, and kind of make an argument that, hey, you're you're deserving eventually, as the committee makes a selection, of a, you know, potentially a number two seed, maybe even a number one if, if the cards uh, fall in the right order. Bob, uh, Florida State's played the last couple of games, two and a half games maybe, without Balsha uh, in the middle and uh, reports out this week that he may be out an extended period of time. Uh, big effect, little effect, no effect? What do you think? You know, I think it's a – a big effect in a certain regard because I really like Balsha. You know, his post moves are very advanced for a freshman, you know, for a really young kid. But on the other hand, the Seminoles have played small ball very well too, um, especially when you use Malik Osborne at the five. He can defend those bigger guys because he's an aggressive rebounder, good defender, you know, and, and everybody on the, on the court is, is going to try to get a steal or block a shot. So, my expectation is that, you know, we'll see Dominic Olnichuk about 10 minutes. That's about what he's averaging per night. But I, I kind of lean toward, you know, let's see what the smaller lineup of three guards, two forwards can do. That's a little bit more of a challenge with Virginia in particular because you've got Diakite at 6'9 and Huff at 7 foot. So these are our better bigs, the power forward center position that I think Florida State has seen in a while. But, you know, I think Florida State's up for the challenge. I think this will be a, that'll be the really intriguing matchup to watch tonight. I think the athleticism of Osborne and, and Williams when he's in there, though he technically plays at the four, I think their athleticism, particularly against Huff, 
uh, is going to cancel that out. Uh, Diakite is a quality player, and obviously he's got athletic skills as well. Uh, and with that pack line defense, uh, you know, three-point shooting gets hmm, more encouraged. Magnified. Magnified. Uh, yeah, good and, or bad. Yeah. yeah, and FSU has been shooting the ball somewhat better, particularly uh, MJ. Yeah, I, I think somewhat better is a good way to say it. I mean, they're they're hitting just under 34% of their threes, but the encouraging sign is the way MJ Walker has shot, especially on the road, you know, obviously at Louisville, uh, at Wake Forest. And, and now, again, I think my kind of criticism with MJ in the past has been you see these flashes of brilliance, but then he doesn't follow it up game by game. If, if he is developing into that consistent three-point shooter, to compliment Devin Vassell, who we know has a very consistent three-point shot, that's an encouraging sign. This is a team that, you know, despite the numbers not being there as a team shooting beyond the three-point arc, there are some positives. You know, Polite has made more threes as he's seen more playing time this season. Um, Osborne is, is literally the best statistical three-point shooter on the team at 40%. He doesn't take a bunch but he tends to get good looks, and he tends to make those. Trent Forrest is going to have a size advantage over his counterpart, too, which in, in Trent's starting to, to round into form. <laughs> a size advantage? Seven inches or whatever? Don't they have two five nine guards? <laughs> I'll tell you what always concerns me, though. I, you know, you, Virginia is not going well right now, and at some point you figure they'll start going well. Don't want it to be tonight. Don't want it to be tonight. And and the way they, they muddy it up on defense, it reminds you of Paul Johnson, Georgia Tech, and that they shorten the game, there's fewer possessions, that whole thing. Except that... Unlike Georgia Tech, Virginia actually has more talent via the four-star, five-star, if you pay attention to recruiting, than what FSU does. So at some point, they may figure it out. Let's go bigger picture. We're talking with Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. And, and Keith, I don't recall where it is in the notes, but Leonard is a, about to or maybe moved into the top five for wins in the ACC. He's I believe he's tied with Drussell. One more win would put him ahead of Drussell. Is that overall wins or ACC wins? ACC wins. Okay. Wins it, while coaching in the ACC. Oh wins by an ACC coach. Okay. Meanwhile, on the women's side of the ledger, Sue Semra got her 200th ACC win the other day. So she's now fourth. She's only the fourth women's coach uh, in history to win 200 league games. So I, I guess what I'm saying, Bob, is if you polled the average FSU fan, let alone the, the average college basketball fan, would they be able to point out that FSU has a top five coach on both the men's and women's side if you look at wins? I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I think the short answer is no. And honestly, coming up here, I've been here 25 years now. You know, came up at a time where the basketball program had had been good on the men's side, had been good on the women's side, but started to tail off in that that mid 90s, late 90s. And you know, to see what Sue Semrau has done, consistently building a a team that the expectation is you're going to be in the Sweet 16 every year. And and then on the men's side, what Leonard Hamilton has done. I mean, I don't think he gets enough credit, honestly, for the amount of talent specifically this year that they've lost a first-round pick, a second-round pick, adding Kofor, Kumaje, Savoy, David Nichols. This, in, in many ways, is a reshaped roster. It wasn't a rebuilding job, but it's completely reshaped. And in some regards, Virginia has a reshaped roster, too. But I would argue, not to knock Tony Bennett at all at Virginia, but Leonard and the staff have redone everything and kind of weathered this storm through the first half of the year with a with a top ten team. Whereas Virginia, 
I think they're still kind of finding themselves and, and they're going to struggle through this year. So this is a coaching job that not just Leonard Hamilton, but the entire staff, it's, it's kind of gone well under the radar nationally. I would add, just add very quickly that that may be the case amongst fans, but when you talk to the rest of the division one coaches, the division one athletic directors, they all know what Leonard has done down here, and they hold him in great esteem. I, I would agree, and I think you know as much as we like the the Florida State basketball program, the arena is not up to the caliber around the ACC and in other conferences. You guys know that much better than I do because because KJ, KJ you travel, but what they have done is is win without a basketball palace. They've done it through being a family, having good coaches, developing players, graduating players at an extremely high rate. So it's it's kind of a different formula than, say, another successful program around the South. Well, Georgia Tech's coach said we should put up a statue for Leonard because he can't figure out how he gets guys to buy in playing 18 minutes a game instead of 32 in this And what's so, this thing called defense? Yeah, Who does I mean, this? It, it's remarkable. Hey, Bob, we need, we need to wrap up this segment, but I know you've been out to baseball. What's your early thoughts from talking to Mike Martin Jr.? Are we going to have to add Junior now? Or, or, or when we say no, Mike we Martin, just call him Mike. are we, are we going to know that we're talking about Junior? Yeah, I'm told he answers to meet and only meet, so I think we have, we have to roll with that. <laughs> okay. He's um, And again, to remind folks, baseball practice will start next Friday. It's a really early start with uh, opening day on Valentine's Day. Cool timing there, of course. But I, I think Mike Martin Jr. talking to him briefly, he's really encouraged by the pitching staff, not just the rotation, the starting rotation, but the bullpen. He's just raving about uh, Shane Drohan, left-hander, a couple of days ago when I was talking with him and, and just the development of Shane under the new pitching coach, Jimmy Bellinger. Uh, Shane was a guy who we saw had all kinds of control problems through the years, but now he's really kind of figured things out going into year three. So the strength of this baseball team could be pitching. And of course they have a, a catcher in Matthew Nelson returning. So you've got that chemistry with the battery and this just be a really fun baseball team to watch and also a great home schedule look at how many top 10 teams are going to come to Hauser. Bob, we appreciate your insight as always. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. He is our uh, Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. And uh, if you've not subscribed to the Osceola, I encourage you to do to Jerry, do so. Jerry Kutz uh, back in the business again. And uh, we've known him a long time. You get a seven-day free trial or subscribe for just six ninety-five a month. We're going to turn our attention to football, and we'll do that after this break here on Front Row Knowles. Me and Dale were singing. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith.
Back on Front Row Knowles, the uh, Earl Bacon Agency hotline has stayed busy today. We're going to reopen it once more. Uh, before we do so, I'll remind you that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to take care of all your power tool needs. Ron and company have been uh, big supporters of our program over the years. You can call them at 580-1200. Visit them online at CTF. Dot NU. So we uh, we reopen uh, that Earl Bacon HC hotline and say hello to a, a a great Noel and a guy that we haven't connected with in a while. But uh, you've heard his name, you know him, Leroy Butler. Mister Punt Ruski is on the line. How are you, sir? Hey, how's it going, guys? We're we're doing great. You know, I called you Mister Punt Ruski, but that's the FSU world. It, you know, in Green Bay, you're Mister right. Lambo Leap, aren't you? You've got you've got that's like split right. personalities that's there. Right. <laughs> I think, matter of fact, whenever I'm home in Jacksonville, Florida, that is what people talk about, the plan Ruski. But as soon as I come north, yep, it's the Lambo Leap. And, and when I'm in the Midwest, uh, our way out west, or back in California, they actually talk about both. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so, all right, set the record straight. Was that was the Lambo Leap premeditated? Did it just happen organically? What's the history? Oh, oh it definitely was not. Uh, premeditated. It was spontaneous at best. Um, it was just something that I'd never even thought about, but I just know that, you know, in Green Bay, the fans are everything. We don't have an owner. You're owned by the fans. And I thought it'd be a great way to celebrate, to actually jump up and hug the fans, the one, you know, fan base that, that I think sometimes as uh, players, we always take our fan base for granted. But here's a Here's a way to thank them and show how much you love them and you appreciate them buying tickets and making you relevant. So I thought it was awesome. Now, Leroy, be honest. I, I don't know if I read this or made it up, but something in the back of my mind says when you went to do that the first time, right about the time you took off, you went, what if I don't make it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing about that is if you look at that on YouTube, it was shocking to the fans what I was about to do. They didn't really know. And one of the guys had a beer in his hand, and so he wasn't expecting me to jump up there. Maybe just come to the wall right. and high-five them. So when I jumped up there, he wasted his beer. And I just, I'd never forget those famous words he said to me. He hugged me and told me, and he yelled that I owed him a beer. And it was just amazing how funny it was the more and more we talked about it. So the fans, they didn't expect anything. I mean, they were just kind of in shock. Because so, if they were, I think if they would have did it a little bit better. But it was just so awesome because it was spontaneous and fun. And at the time, we were playing the Raiders. It was, it was at the time, my coldest game with the wind chill was like almost like 10 below zero. So it was. I, I was shocked. I was telling guys on the bench. Earlier, I said, I'm surprised the stadium is still full because we was winning like 21 to nothing or something like that. But the fans really love their football here. Well, I'd be willing to bet you that that gentleman that lost his beer can bring up that YouTube video anytime he wants to. And that's a price he was more than happy to pay. <laughs> and somebody will buy him a beer. Exactly. <laughs> oh, no question up here. There's no problem up here, trust me. We're talking with Leroy Butler. Okay, I got to ask you one about the punt Ruski, and then we'll get to the business at hand, which is congratulations, by the way, that you're uh, you're one of 15 finalists right now for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and we'll have that conversation in a minute. So uh, FSU fans know the punt Ruski. We've all seen it. We've all heard different tales about how it got there. But I want to know your reaction the first time 
whoever it was said this is how this is what the fake punt looks like and and trust me it'll work i mean do you recall when the first time you saw this thing yeah i remember um when coach Bowen was talking about it we actually as players we were thinking about saving it for florida at the end of the year because you can only want run one fake punt like that i mean probably in a generation <laughs> but we tried it in, in practice, and it didn't work. So I think he was, like, discouraged. Like, oh, we're not going to do that. But in the actual game, when he told me to run it, I just kind of looked at him like, are you sure? I mean, we're, like, backed up on our own, like, 20, and it's raining. And, <laughs> and the, but in his mind, you know, and he said this, that he wanted somebody to win. Coach Bowden never want, was one of these guys that – had wanted his team to feel like he was never trying to win the game. So if we punt, the game would have been over. So um, I thought it was just a brilliant play. It really was. And, I mean, I think that most of the guys on the team, and uh, I, th- I think they were shocked that we were going to do it. But I, I think deep down inside they said if we do it, it will catch them by surprise. So hopefully it will work. Leroy, what did y'all call it? Did you call it the punt rooski? Yes, yes, it was called. Well, it was a combination at first of punt rooski and fumble rooski because it was a it was thought of at first for Dane Williams to put the ball on the ground and I kind of pick it up. Then we said, well, wait a minute. If that happened, um, it's wet. What if somebody kicked it by mistake or some, so? No, don't put it on the ground. Just put it between his legs. And I had to just kind of pause for a minute because we want everybody to think the ball went over the punter's head. Because when that happens, it's like a delayed reaction. The crowd went nuts. Because they thought the punter was, the ball was going over his head. And they weren't paying attention to me and uh, Dane Williams. And But it was one guy out of my uh, right corner of my eye. He kind of saw me at the last minute. But after that, I was gone already. Well, I, I was told that you got a negative from a technical standpoint on the play because you didn't pause long enough. <laughs> well, and then I didn't score. So it was two <laughs> negatives. <laughs> Richie Andrews had to save my butt. That's my buddy. I mean, having a great kicker helps when you go out of bounds on the three-yard line. So you know, the real hero is Richie Andrews. <laughs> Richie and Tim Corlew was the punter so there's some FSU trivia for you right there we're talking with Leroy Butler go. so uh, you know those are obviously are very you know probably two more memorable plays from a college and pro career than anybody out there has and they're great to reflect on unfortunately they're not part of the resume when the Hall of Fame folks get in a room and start having this conversation so I guess um, you know as you've been through this you've been a semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame three years this is your first year as a finalist uh, is it something that's, I mean, obviously you'd love to get there, but do you think about it often? Are you concerned about it? Is it worrisome? Uh, are you waiting by the phone the day that they're sitting down and meeting about it? I mean, just what, what what's in your mind about it? If anybody out there, if you know me, you know that I'm enjoying the journey. So I'm not going to be upset if it doesn't happen. But I don't really think like that. I think like it's going to happen because it is a leap year, right? I mean, this is the fitting year to do it. If, you, if there's any year I'm going to get into the Hall of Fame, it would be this particular year. So it's just a lot of things align uh, in my uh, favor. And when you're a finalist, 
they have to have a debate about you. Somebody gets up there and tell your career how, you know, who saw it. I think that benefits me in a way because when you're a semifinalist, they don't get a chance to see anything. Because everybody's made all pro, everybody's made all these pro bowls. But what separates the player? And to me, what separates me is I covered the best receiver on third down in the slot. I covered running backs and tight ends. And I backed the quarterback, got interceptions. But not only that, my whole career is about the fan base. I'm the only celebration that you have with the fan base. And I think that's very, very important. And hopefully that'll be enough. First 20 interception, 20 sack player in NFL history. And, you know, as I look at the 15 finalists, Leroy, there's three other safeties that are that are among those finalists. So part of the deliberation is going to be about Atwater, and who was really a contemporary of yours, and then John Lynch, the early part of his career, was was the latter part of your career. And then I think Troy Polamalu, I mean, that's really a different era because he was the next decade by the time he started playing. So. His hair's a little longer than yours, Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess what I'm saying, I, you know, if you're on the committee – it doesn't feel like, and they're only going to take five out of these 15, that they would take three safeties out of the group. And to be fair, there's I don't have the full list in front of me, but, I mean, there's a lot of other really strong candidates. Obviously, they're one of 15 finalists. Right. So how would well, – and, and you were – you know, and I guess you and, and Steve, if I'm not mistaken, you're the only two players from the all-decade team of the 90s that are not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame at this point. And see, that's the thing that, you know, um, when you're a finalist that they bring up, and see, Steve's been a finalist the last three years. I think Lynch was been a finalist for, finalist for six years or something like that. So I said to myself, self, if they were going to get in, they'd be in already. So I don't think that's going to stop me because none of these 50 guys or 48 guys, they've never heard of my story yet. So if they wanted to you know, put me and Troy Paul Amali in, that's fine. <laughs> but if some reason that it just, when you look at most, uh, highlight. If you could just see a guy just making hits, I don't think that's enough. I think you have to be make people around you better. You have to intercept passes, sack quarterbacks. I mean, cover people. You have to do everything. I mean, otherwise, you know, why would you be a finalist? So I think that makes my case very strong. And again, I'm enjoying the journey. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think I won't be all nerve-wracked when I get down to the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. I'm going to have fun with it. I really am. I mean, because you think about how many great players wish they could be in this position. So I'm going to take advantage of it for the most part and know that one day when you're a finalist, one day you will get in. You just don't know when. Leroy, I feel like this part of your story doesn't get told as frequently, maybe it does, but I, I'm not aware that that Florida State fans, uh, you know, the average Florida State fan would know that you had some uh, physical issues growing up. I mean, you were in leg braces, sometimes in a wheelchair until till middle school or something like that. So I'm sure that you have shared that message to have the kind of career that you've had in light of the the challenge that you had early on. What what do you tell folks when you get an opportunity to talk, or what would you share about your personal experience there? Well, I have to let the uh, the kids or parents know I was a special needs um, student uh, in in special education. So my teachers were my heroes, and I remember having a discussion with my hero, my mom, and I remember her telling me the real heroes 
are people without capes. And while, you know, they can't fly, they can't, like, they're not made of steel. They're teachers who work every day for eight to nine hours, sometimes ten hours a day for less money because they love kids and want kids to benefit from um, some of the great things in school, public public school at that. And you're going to be one of those kids. So you go to school and you respect your teacher and you you learn. So when kids bully you for being poor or being small or you ignore them and you you would disrespect your teacher by not making it out of the project. And I remember when Coach Bowden, who changed my life, you know, I was a Proposition 48. That mean I had I couldn't I didn't pass the SAT test and didn't have a higher core GPA. But the NCAA said you can still give six scholarships if you want to. Now, some students, I mean, some schools chose not to do that. But Coach Bobby Bowden, not only did he put it on a fast track to give me a scholarship, he actually came in the project. I mean, he was was everything to me. I mean, this was a young man that said, I need to give LaRoy Butler a chance. And I'll never forget that. I, I just... It's emotional talking about how all of these universities, I got all these letters from all these universities since it's all American, but as soon as they found out that I was a, I was a Proposition 48, they all pulled their scholarship back for Florida State um, and Coach Bowden and Brad Scott. Not only did they say, we're going to give you a scholarship, we're going to hand-deliver this thing and make history because we want you – to get out of the projects and come to Tallahassee and learn. And and I remember Coach Bowden said, now you can't play your freshman year, but you can come to school, so don't worry about it. You got plenty of, you got enough talent to make up for the following year, my sophomore year. And he was correct. So um, if I am lucky enough uh, to be in the Hall of Fame, Coach Bowden would be very instrumental in putting together my speech or delivering my speech or being there with me every step of the way uh, because he was just paramount in my life because he taught me to turn that disability into something great. I mean, you don't have great feet like Deion Sanders, but you just make plays. And that's what Mickey Andrews convinced me. You didn't need it to be a certain type of a player. Just make plays. And as long as you do that, FSU will have you, and so I really appreciate that. That is well said, and uh, we can't thank you. And, uh, by the way, a little footnote here. You ended up moving from safety to corner your last year to take over for Deion Sanders. So, you know, that's a nice little footnote on the resume, too. Hey, Leroy, enjoy the next couple weeks. Enjoy the journey, as you said, and uh, come on back to FSU. Find me on the sideline. Love to catch up, uh, and congratulations on a great career. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you guys. Uh, doing up, I'm up in the frozen tundra. But whenever I can talk to my family down in Tallahassee, I would love to do it and go Knowles. Thanks, Leroy. Take care, brother. Leroy Butler, uh, one of the all-time FSU greats. Good to catch up. Unfortunately, Keith, uh, the way today's show unfolded, really good show, but we don't have a lot of time to react there. I know you'd love to react to the Bobby thing, but I, I think we're out of time. We'll just say we'll revisit next week. How about that? All right. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in. We'll do this again next Wednesday. So long, everybody.
We don't need no thought control 